It can be tough to transition from a student to professional nurse, which is why I want to tell you about HCA Healthcare's Nurse Residency Program. This program supports newly graduating nursing students at the early stages of their careers. HCA Healthcare's year-long Nurse Residency Program helps first-year nurses transition from the classroom to working in the field with confidence. Plus, nursing residents get access to a range of opportunities to learn from specialists in various areas, such as ER, critical care, and surgical services, as well as a variety of other great benefits. Learn more today at careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency. Again, that's careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency. HCA Healthcare is an equal opportunity employer. Now onto the episode. Welcome to the Nurse Becoming Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume RX, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth all through the lens of nursing. Welcome back to the Nurse Becoming Podcast. It's your host, Amanda Guarneri, and I hope that the title of the episode today caught your eye because I'm excited for you to hear this. We got to talk to, well, I got to talk to my friend and former coworker, Jean Kelly, who is a physician assistant. I think Jean is our first PA on the show. She is working in an area of medicine uh, that's clinical research. And I had so many questions for her. And actually, when I learned that she had taken this job, she and I were chatting and I said, I, <laughs> I want to learn more about your role. I'm so fascinated at the idea about uh, of, of clinical research. Hey, can I ask you questions and we'll record it for the podcast? And she very graciously agreed to do that. So I think that if you're the type of person who really enjoys kind of the research side of things, you're excited about the potential of being part of the future of medicine, I think that you'll find this episode really intriguing and really interesting. So you can enjoy me geeking out and asking Jean all of my questions about this really, really fascinating specialty that I don't think a lot of us really know about. I mean, it took me this many years to to really uh, know someone who is working in this area. So I'm excited to bring it to you. And I hope that you enjoy learning about clinical research and hearing my interview with Jean. Also, Jean is someone who went through an NPPA fellowship program, uh, of which I was the director. So I did ask her some questions about her experience during fellowship, because I know that we get a lot of questions uh, about that from our new grad NPs, because I know that's a hot topic. So I hope you enjoy this episode and yeah, let me know what you think. Send me a DM on Instagram if you like this type of episode where I talk to someone in a different specialty so that I can try to find some more specialists to bring you so that you can get some nice exposure to all the different possibilities that we have in our careers. So let's get into the episode. 
Hello, Jean. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. You and I are longtime friends slash former colleagues. So I'm I'm really excited to highlight you and your career path because I'm super interested about it. Uh, and and honestly, this is just a reason for me to like ask you a whole bunch of questions and <laughs> record it for other people to listen in on. Yeah, I love it. I'm excited. I know it's been fun to catch up a little bit. So let's. I've already introed you, you know, at the beginning, but let's start with an introduction. You know, in your own words, who you are, what you do, and then I'm sure I'll ask you some deeper questions about some background stuff. Sure. Well, my name is Jean, as you guys know. Uh, I actually am a physician assistant, and I have been out of school uh, almost six years. So I'm kind of new in my career, but I feel like I've done a lot and seen a lot in that six years. So uh, it's been fun, that's for sure. And yeah, now I'm actually a what's called a sub-investigator in clinical research, which has been totally different and totally exciting and crazy in these unprecedented times, as they say. Yes, I'm very excited to hear all about that. And that's one of the main reasons why I invited you on, because that just sounds super interesting to me. So we're definitely going to get into all that because I have a lot of questions. But first, I'd love for you to kind of tell us a little bit about your career path. You know, what prompted you to decide to go to PA school? And then once you graduated, where did you end up? I obviously know a lot of these answers, but I'd love for you to, you know, share your story for the listeners. Sure, sure. So I I kind of ended up in PA school because I was lucky to know what I wanted to do as a young person, I guess. Um you know, I feel like everyone has like some story about a healthcare professional that had some impact on them and it made them want to like do the same thing. So when I was in middle school, actually, um, unfortunately, my father passed away, but I will never forget being in the hospital with him. And one of the doctors like pulling me aside could tell I'm like this scared 12 year old doesn't know what's going on. And he showed me like all this cardiac anatomy. And he's like, this is exactly what's going on with your dad. And and like, I just, I have like such a distinct memory of that story that I was like, wow, like this guy really helped me calm down, helped me understand it. And even though I guess that story didn't end up happy, that situation has always stuck with me. And I was like, I want to go into medicine. I guess I don't know what I want to do because I'm 12 and I don't know what my options are, but I want to go into <laughs> medicine. So As high school goes on, you know, like I looked into nursing, I looked into med school type, you know, pre-med type stuff. And uh, I ended up with PA because I knew someday I would want to be some type of advanced practitioner. Uh, Med school was a lot and I didn't think I needed all of that. (laughs) But uh, and then I was also fortunate that locally we had a program where I could go into a PA program out of high school and leave with my master's. So I went into a PA program at 18. I left at 23 with a bachelor's and a master's in, in PA, and I could just hit the ground running. So that was a big reason why I picked it, I guess. Yeah. No, I think that's a really a really good point because when you're kind of comparing the fields, yeah, we talk a lot about you know the nursing method and the nursing approach versus the medical model. But I think there's also the practical things of, okay, what type of education is 
here and accessible to me? And how long is it going to take me to do it? And how much money is it going to cost? Like these are all factors of a decision. And it sounds like that definitely played a part in in you deciding ultimately which branch of of medicine you were going to go into. Yeah, definitely. And even like, I mean, in high school, I didn't even understand like nursing model versus medical model and all of that. But I like knew like, I want to prescribe meds and order stuff and see my own patients. <laughs> and this is a way to do that. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're in PA school, you're, you're 23, you're getting ready to graduate. And what was your first job? How did you find it? What's that story? So I did all of my clinical rotations, obviously, that I had to do to graduate. And one of them was in emergency medicine at our local trauma one facility, like big, cool rotation. And that's where I met you. (laughs) (laughs) And you guys were like starting this cool new like emergency medicine fellowship. And I loved emergency medicine. That was like by far my favorite rotation. Uh, I just, it was just so exciting. I loved making differentials and the workups and the crazy stories you see. I mean, you're like 23. I'm like, heck yeah, I want to see all this stuff. So yeah, so then I I applied to the fellowship program that accepted the APP fellowship program. That was a mixture of PAs and NPs. And uh, luckily, you were one of the co-directors at the time, (laughs) which was a nice little addition. And yeah, I, that was a really, really, really great way to start my career. I have no regrets about that. Yeah, for sure. I remember you being such a strong student and it, it was one of your last rotations, if not your last rotation. I'm fairly certain, right? Wasn't it towards the end? It might have been. I don't know. Whatever it was, like, I remember being very impressed by you. Like you were so, not only did you enjoy what you were doing, but you were so good at it. So yeah, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I co-founded and co-directed an NP and PA fellowship in emergency medicine. And so Jean, you're one of our first cohort applicants and fellows. So that was really how you and I started working together because, you know, not only were we teaching you, but you were working alongside us as, uh, as providers for that year. Okay. So then what was next? So you, you did the fellowship program. What were your overall thoughts about the fellowship experience, because since, you know, five, six years ago, it has definitely become something that more and more people want to pursue. So share your experience about that. Yeah, it definitely has expanded a lot since I like was like one of the only people I knew that was even like applying to something like that at the time. So it's definitely expanded, but I, I loved it. And I, I don't know if I could have gone into working without it. I mean, I'm sure I could have, but one thing I loved about it is like, you only get so much exposure during school, right? Like you only get so many rotations, you only get so much clinical exposure, and then you're like expected to kind of like work and whatever. And I'm like, I feel like I have so much more I could still learn. So it was almost like doing another year of clinicals, but you're getting paid. (laughs) You get to like, do so much more. You can like put in your own orders and stuff like that, obviously under a lot of supervision, but I saw so many more facets of medicine that I never would have saw in school. Like we did like three months of critical care or something. And we got to do like medical critical care. Then we got to do trauma, critical care, burn critical care, surgical critical. Like it was like all the, I never ever would have had the time to do that in school. Not to mention like 
oncology and urology and general cardiology. Like it was just a year of electives essentially. Yeah. And it was a really good way to put it. Yeah. The way, um, the way we structured our program because it was an emergency medicine program, we really purposefully wanted to give our fellows experiences that would expose them to as many specialties as possible, because that's the name of the game in emergency medicine, right? Like we're really frontline when it comes to the hospital process. And we need to know the emergencies of all these subspecialties. So it was really fun when we were putting together the program, like dreaming up all the different things that we wish that we had, because most of us had been trained on the job. And and yes, we were learning these emergencies through emergency patients, but the benefit that you had was you were able to, first of all, work and learn alongside these physicians and providers in these specialties, and then also see, you know, what happens next so that you're not just doing that like very triage medicine that we're doing downstairs in the ED. So I just loved being able to like help create that experience for you. And it sounds like it was really, (laughs) it was really beneficial, maybe even to a fault because it, (laughs) it exposed you to all these wonderful other places where you could eventually go work, which you may eventually did, right? Yeah, I was going to say, which uh, seems like a real story. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so yes, yeah, so it was great. And then I did, so I did that for a year, and then I did do emergency for two more years. But one thing, and this is probably true at any big level one center, is there's residents, and residents get to do a lot of like the really cool, acute stuff. And I was like, well, I just spent a whole year doing all this really cool, acute stuff. And now I'm not seeing it as much as I, as I want to be seeing it. I mean, of yeah. course you always have the random patients going to decompensate or something. So I did, I went, I switched over to critical care, but I did cardiac critical care, which we actually didn't do in our fellowship at all. Uh, and that is an animal to itself. That is, it was crazy, but I needed it. I needed the crazy. And, uh, yeah, so then I did that for two years, and unfortunately, I switched in 2019. So I had a I had a bit of time under my belt before the spring of 2020 hit, and mm-hmm. critical care uh, changed as everyone knew it. But that was yeah, that's what I did next, and uh, that's what I did up until what I'm doing now. So how did you? So you mentioned, you know, feeling like you didn't necessarily get to do as much as you wanted to in the emergency department. Were there any other factors that kind of influenced you in wanting to change jobs? Like were there other elements of the dissatisfaction that, that led to that change that you're interested in sharing? Um, I mean, I still, I still love the basics of emergency medicine and seeing all of the patients and the different presentations that you get. But I guess, I don't know. I just, I knew that if I wanted to do something like more, kind of expand my skills more procedurally, medically, I would need to do it now Mm. because the schedule is hard. The job is hard. And I was like, I need to do it while I'm young. And like, you know, my 20s are going going fast. So (laughs) if I'm going to (laughs) handle 50% nights, 50% days and running codes and running to different floors. I'm like, I got to do it now. Yeah. 
I think that's a good point that some sometimes we outgrow positions like not because we've learned everything there is to learn, but there are, you know, different parts of our brain or our skills that are, you know, thirsty to learn more. And I think that's, that's okay. And we talk about people leaving jobs because they're unhappy or it's a toxic work environment or all these other things. But I think yours is a good example of like you, you wanted to learn more and really expand what you were able to do in your role. And it sounds like, sounds like that was a a good shift. And I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, you mentioned, you know, spring of 2020 critical care changed as we, as we knew it. What was your experience? Because you were working cardiac critical care when, when COVID hit, is that fair to say? Yep. Yep. Um, which luckily we didn't get hit as much as like, like a MICU did because MICU took a lot of, lot of the brunt of that for sure. But we were floated to other ICUs for staffing. They created what was called the highly infectious disease unit. That was like what they called their COVID ICU. So we were floated to that if we, if they needed like coverage and we had a, a much lower census initially because we see a lot of cardiac surgery patients that weren't happening. We weren't really taking interhospital transfers. Everything just kind of like stopped. But on the other end, it was like, okay, well, pull up your bootstraps and go help these people because they're getting really slammed. Um, so that was that was a lot because it's not like you really got a lot of training. You just had to learn what you knew about COVID at the time and go learn how to like prone and unprone these patients. Like I had never done any of that, <laughs> but it was the provider's expectation on a night shift to be the one overseeing the proning team. And it was like, uh, it was a lot. Yeah. So when did that job turn into your search for this position? I'm just assuming that it was kind of traditional where you were like, okay, I'm going to start looking for another job. So actually I wasn't. Uh, So how I found this job, which is advice I will give to everybody listening. So it doesn't matter what position you are. uh, I actually saw a job posting through the local PA association I'm in that I've always been a member since school and whatever. And they post random job postings all the time. And you get an email every time one's posted. And typically I ignore them because not looking or whatever. Uh, But then this one posted and it was for a local research facility that was taking on a massive COVID vaccine trial, like bigger than any trial they'd ever done. And they only had, you know, like one or two APPs and they needed more help just for the, just for the time being, like just as a per diem, just one trial. Once this, the big part of this trial is over, we won't need you anymore type of thing. Mm. And I was like, Hey, that sounds pretty cool. I could have like (laughs) some type of effect and maybe controlling the pandemic and see a totally different side to medicine and get paid for doing it. And why not? So I just threw my name in and I got the per diem job, which was pretty cool. So I went in, I helped see like, I forget how many people are even in that study, hundreds, hundreds of patients. Uh, it ended up being a vaccine that did get EUA approved, which was pretty cool. And I was like, Hey, this was neat. And then the, it kind of ended and they didn't need me anymore. So <laughs> I went <laughs> back to cardiac critical care doing my 50% nights, 50% days totally getting exhausted. You know, as we know, the pandemic didn't end and wasn't ending. 
Uh, so going with the ebbs and flows of all the the surges and all that, it, mm. it was it was exhausting for sure. But uh, one night after I woke up from a night shift, actually, which is anyone who works nights would probably say, if you ever want to quit your job, it's after a night shift. <laughs> um, Although you were full-time nights for like years, so I guess I shouldn't say that. No, not because I liked it, because I had to. I agree with you. Yeah, so if there's any, like on a day shift, you're like, oh, my job's pretty cool. I kind of like it. And then on a night shift, you're like, oh, man, I need to get out of here. So I actually woke up from a night shift with a call from the research place saying, hey, we have an opening and we'd really like for you to take it if you're interested. So That's so awesome. Yeah. So it was kind of just by chance, actually. I got a little lucky, but my advice is for everyone to join their local society, whether it's Mm -hmm. nursing, NP, anything, because connections never, ever hurt. Yeah, for sure. And and technically that full-time job probably was never posted, right? The per diem jobs were, but if they called you and said, hey, we want you to fill this role, they probably never blasted it out anywhere, I'm guessing. They didn't. Yeah, which was nice. But it was it was a tough decision, that's for sure, because what a change. <laughs> hey there, friend. If you are a brand new nurse practitioner or an NP student nearing graduation, I have the perfect resource for you that will help you get all your ducks in a row as you get started with your job search. It's called the Nurse Practitioner Graduation Survival Guide, and you can get it totally free at my website at theresumerx.com slash NPgrad. This guide will help break down the glossary of all the terms and acronyms that you will need to be applying for. Think like NPI and DEA, as well as giving you the typical timeline of everything that needs to happen before you can start working as an NP. I can't wait for you to snag this guide so you can stop worrying about everything you need to do before you can be legit. Go ahead to theresumerx.com slash NPgrad and get it for free. Can't wait to hear what you think. So how did you, how did you approach making that decision? Was it like pros and cons list? Was it intuition? How did you go about it? I knew that I was going to need a change soon because I, I was intellectually and and medically satisfied, like what I was looking for when I left emergency. Mm -hmm. Uh, I learned more than I actually even thought I was ever going to learn, but the schedule was just so hard. I didn't think 50, 50 nights and days was going to be that hard. I was just like, was not myself going into night shifts and some people are, are like built for it. And I guess I'm just not one of those people. <laughs> I can do them here and there, but like every single week to be flip-flopping was like, was a lot. So obviously the schedule was a big contender. We work, we only work half days on Fridays and every weekend off and every holiday off. I was nervous about like salary, because you do make a lot more yeah. in a hospital setting, especially working like weird hours. You always kind of get compensated for that. I think that's like a big deterrent for a lot of people going from inpatient to outpatient is a lot of the times it's like a big salary cut. But uh, I actually was lucky that it really wasn't. So that helped solidify the deal. Yeah, for sure. So I have absolutely no idea what someone who works in clinical research does like I can maybe imagine, but I'm super curious to hear like what your day to day looks like. 
you know, what are your overall job responsibilities? What are you working on? When are you seeing patients? Are you always seeing patients? So give me the rundown. So yeah, surprisingly enough, I actually am seeing patients for most of my day. Now I'm on a lot more than just that one COVID trial, but we are doing a lot of trials. And I have to see screen patients for all of them, which is knowing the inclusion and exclusion criteria for like every study that we do, which is, it's a lot. It's more like a lot of like reading and sometimes memorizing and understanding protocols. It's definitely very different, Um, Mm. but it's still interesting. That's cool. So other than vaccine trials, what other types of trials are you working on? So we are doing a lot of vaccine trials in general. That's definitely the majority of what we do. Um, Not necessarily COVID trials, but a lot, a lot has to do with COVID because we've actually done two of the EUA approved vaccines. And one of them is like all of the age brackets. So babies to old people. And each one of those is a separate protocol. And we've actually done two COVID vaccines that are still seeking EUA approval. Mm. Um, But otherwise, I mean, we're still doing flu vaccine studies, RSV vaccine studies, there's Lyme, there's like mosquito-borne illnesses. Uh, Right now we're actually doing a CMB vaccine uh, to prevent like fetal and congenital abnormalities, which I think that one's pretty interesting. So we still do a bunch of other stuff. It's all fascinating because, you know, not only are you seeing patients, right, but you're, you're doing like really groundbreaking, impactful work and and getting to be involved with the future of medicine, which I think is probably really fulfilling professionally. Uh, It sounds like it is anyway. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially with the pandemic, but then other things, like I mentioned, the CMB vaccine and flu and RSV are huge factors of morbidity and mortality every year. So it is, it is really interesting. And I like that. I mean, Patient safety is like in, incredibly the most number, number, number one thing. Yeah. You know, informed consent and risks and benefits and all of that. So I like that. I don't take my work home at the end of the day like I did at mm. jobs. Yeah. I don't go home and wonder like, is that person okay? Right. <laughs> and that's like indescribable how much less stress that is on your yeah personal life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Are centers that do these types of trials pretty common, like in most major cities, or how prevalent do you think these centers are? That's a good question. I think a lot, I think not very. I think a lot of the academic centers do a lot of research, Mm -hmm. and that's true locally where I am too. But I think a lot of research is actually done within private practices like a family medicine or a dermatology practice, like whatever, will actually have their own research going on. So I don't know if there's a lot of clinics that are private and doing generalized research, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But they must exist. So what would you say, um, if you'd like to give any advice to someone who might be listening and really jazzed about this potential place to work that maybe they didn't know about before. Uh, Do you have some advice about how they could learn more, potentially find this type of role or any general advice? Yeah. So like when I worked in critical care, I did 
try to get involved. I mean, just finding patients that would qualify for a study that like the academic institution was doing. So making myself aware of research that the institution is looking at doing and saying, hey, you know, this patient meets this, this, and this. Do you think they could be part of that study? And I thought that was always kind of interesting. And just that interest alone looked good pursuing yeah. this type of career path and saying, mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I'm used to finding patients that are going to be included or whatever, meet the criteria, that type yeah. of thing. But um, I guess, I don't know. It's a, every, every study needs what's called a sub-investigator. And that's technically what my job title is now. So it might be worthwhile to Google that type of term mm-hmm. instead of Sub investigator. Yeah. Instead of nurse practitioner, physician assistant, whatever in research, uh, that's technically what we're called. Here's a random question. Sure. Do you get your name published in studies? No, we don't, unfortunately. But we do get to put the studies on like our resume that we contributed to their mm. success or nice. whatever. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It seems like just a really good opportunity for someone who might be very research inclined. You know, yeah. That person who likes clinical practice, but is also really interested in clinical research, you know, how could they find the you know, perfect marriage of those interests. It really seems uh, ideal for that type of brain. So that's really cool. Sub-investigator, I'm taking notes. That way we can share these wonderful tips with the people. I think that's all the questions that I have for you, unless you had other other thoughts or anything else you wanted to share uh, that we might find interesting. One thing that actually I am doing almost every day, I feel like in my new job is... um reporting what's called SAEs or serious adverse events. So if a patient that's in a trial gets hospitalized or something serious happens to them, we have to do like all this paperwork. And then I find all of their medical charts, medical records, and I like sift through it. And I know it sounds kind of boring, but I love it because I'm like (laughs) putting this story together and it brings back that activity. And a lot of patients end up in ICUs or whatever. I mean, totally research unrelated, but then it's nice to to see the other side of it, like, oh man, I used to see you as the patient in the ICU that's intubated for your pneumonia. And now three months later, you're here. Actually, yes, I do have an interesting story. Tell me if it's not HIPAA compliant, but I think it will be. Recently, we had a patient who was in for a vaccine study, like run of the mill, not even COVID related, a different one. Um, and he, it was just a follow-up. He had already gotten his injection, but they do safety follow-up sometimes for years, depending on the study. And he comes in and he's like, hey, yeah, any big changes? Uh, yeah, I was in the hospital last week. Oh, what was going on? I had cardiac arrest. <laughs> what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And I was like, when? And it was like literally 10 days prior. I was like, so you kind oh of my like, gosh. You kind of like died 10 days ago. And he was like, Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) And he looked like a million dollars. Like I never would have guessed. So I was like, well, that's really satisfying to be the emergency ICU person that, you know, did the codes and whatever. And 
got them to the floor eventually, but I'm like, you look amazing. And it just makes it very fulfilling to see the whole picture. Yeah. Ten was that later. then an exclusion? Was he then, are they then excluded no, from because, the trial? Uh, he, had already got, he had already gotten the vaccine, so we can't oh, okay. take it out of his body, I guess he was fine <laughs> by that point. But yeah, I was like, wow, that is amazing. And yeah, so 10 days later, he could walk in and just do his little safety follow-up. Like, wow, research is very important to you. He's like, I didn't want to miss this trial. <laughs> that's like one that's great part cool. is all the patients want to be there they signed up to be there yeah they actually yeah. get paid to be there that makes for a different dynamic very it? different yes i mean yeah everyone's perfect but it's definitely not the emergency department that's for sure right yeah well i'm glad that you have found this position that seems not only really interesting especially for someone intellectually inclined as yourself but like also just a different type of professional satisfaction. Uh, it sounds, sounds really fulfilling and I'm happy. I'm happy that you found this reprieve, especially after, you know, the time that you dedicated working critical care, uh, during COVID and, <laughs> you know, all the wildness before that. Yes. It's been good. I think a lot of it is it's fulfilling me professionally, but it's also fulfilling me personally. Like mm. there's a lot to be said about like being home for dinner and yeah. being available, having a schedule where you can see people, you for know, sure. the little things in life. So yes, that's those, important. those are actually the big things in life. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I think when you're satisfied personally, a lot of the times you can be satisfied more professionally as well. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Well, Jean, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you for letting me record our catching up. And I'm excited to share this with my listeners. Oh, thank you. It was fun being here. Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. If you have found today's episode helpful and you would like to support the Nurse Becoming podcast, I invite you to buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash nursebecoming. I appreciate your support. This helps me create more content for you to enjoy and benefit from in the future. Also, would you consider giving me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already? It will truly help other nurses find the show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I can't wait to connect with you soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.